Since 1993, Copenhagen Modern Furniture has showcased Austin's largest collection of fine contemporary furniture and accessories. Now at Copenhagen, receive $200 off any stressless seating or $400 off stressless Mayfair chair and ottoman when you donate $50 to one of our local charities. For more ways to save, visit our showroom on Breaker Lane or go to copenhagenliving.com. Copenhagen Modern Furniture, Austin's premier destination for everything contemporary. Welcome to I Love You So Much, the podcast about the people, places, and things we love about Austin. Our podcast is from the features staff at the Austin American Statesman, and we're sponsored by Copenhagen Furniture. I'm Statesman restaurant critic Matthew Odom, and in this week's episode, I sit down with Austin 360 radio host J.B. Hager for a look back at some of the biggest stories and openings in the Austin restaurant world of 2019 and examine some of the most important openings of the past decade. All right, let's jump right into it, uh, Matthew. Some of our biggest restaurant stories of 2019, and I can't help but think, uh, since you've been doing this job for a long time, it wasn't that long ago where you might have only had a handful of new restaurants in a year, and now there's yeah, I'd have to 40? Get, I mean, I think there's more than 100, probably. Really? Yeah. I mean, if you wow. can count all the, all, the, all the small places yeah. and all the... All the uh, corporate places, um, but you know the sad part is as many openings as there are, there's also closings. Yeah, and of course, as we get uh, further and farther away from quote unquote old Austin, a lot of the places closing are places that have been around for a long time that were really important. So this year we had, you know, a, a handful, and the first one was uh, Elaine Martin's place, Eastside Cafe, over on Manor Road. Uh, you remember when that place opened, like 1988, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, there wasn't as much of a scene over there as there is now. You yeah, know, there it was Eastside, and then Hoover's came along at a certain point, and now Manor Road's got kind of its own district. Yeah, it's its own little restaurant row, and you go down to 11th Street, 12th Street, there's restaurants, and of course down into 6th and Cesar Chavez. But yeah, I think back in the late 80s on Manor Road right there, that was pretty much it. It was kind of a food desert, as Elaine said. You know, it became a really popular uh, neighborhood place. It was kind of garden to table. It was very big in the LGBTQ community. And Elaine just decided, you know, she was going to retire to Palm Springs. So it's it's not one of those big, bad developer stories. It was actually yeah. a good one. She had developers coming to her, I think, that wanted to develop that property right there because she has the lot and the other little pork and pies place. But she ended up selling it to uh, Sam Hellman Moss from Suerte on East 6th Street. Ah. Yeah, so Sam hasn't said what he's going to do there. Uh, he's a He's a... Uh, alumnus of barley swine and odd duck so you got to think that it's going to be something you know seasonal and local and probably pretty cool so uh, as much as it is sad to say goodbye to somebody it's good to know that the place is in good hands yeah and that's a nice run and that's good that they went out of their way to sell it to another restaurateur yeah you could have easily been just cash out and and leave it yeah condos and who cares about what happens here um another place that closed and then uh the the difference here is that it, it quickly reopened was El Patio closing in the summer, as you remember. Um, the Joseph families owned that for 65 years, I think. And when they closed, there was a line out the door for the final final days, a lot of people coming back for the first time in a long time, a lot of regulars coming and a little teary-eyed having some margaritas. But it wasn't closed long. Uh, as you know, Charles Atoll got with his cousin, who is uh, one of the daughters of one of the Joseph families, um, and so they, who, and her mother had worked there for, 
for a couple of decades as well. So they got together with a group and decided to reopen the place. Of course, Charles Atal is one of the uh, three C's, C3, the big, you know, uh, uh, music promotion company behind ACL Fest and, and much, much more Lollapalooza as well. Yeah, so uh, Charles, you know, ha- had a special interest in it. Apparently, as soon as he heard that it was closing, he called his cousin, uh, Christian Chiani, and said, uh, who's a, a granddaughter of the founders, Paul and Marianne Joseph, and she said, let's, he said, we got to get this thing back open. So they got with Jesse Herman, who originally uh, opened Sway and La Condesa, and uh, so it's back up and running. So that was kind of a, a different twist on a closing story. Uh, another closing story that also kind of involves the Joseph family is Hutt's Hamburgers, uh, which you know well, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, West, I mean, again, back when there wasn't that much on West 6th Street. Yeah, that was kind of the end of downtown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's been around for about 40 years. Mike Hutchinson uh, and his wife took it over in 1981. So it's been around a long time. Mike decided it was time to retire. Uh, he wanted to you know, finally step away from the grill and the tie-in to the Joseph family there is that the Joseph family are also the landlords of that building and the building next to it, favorite, the liquor store. And in fact, Mr. Joseph was still working at the liquor store right up until the time it closed. Um, you know, this family's been in Austin for like 100 years. And they decided to lease that property out to Larry McGuire's company, McGuire Mormon. And they're going to open next year, hopefully, um, an Italian restaurant called Sammy's which is on the property where Hutz is. And Sammy's is named after Sammy Joseph, uh, who had the original hamburger drive-in spot there that he opened mm. in like 1933. And then, of course, Larry McGuire behind Clark's and Perla's and... Lam- <laughs> Lambert's and Elizabeth Street Cafe. A really gold touch, <laughs> yeah, he right? Does. He has a really good sense of aesthetic and, uh, and service, and you know he really knows how to vibe a place out. So that's going to be kind of like a Dan Tana's Italian red sauce kind of joint. Hmm. Again, that's it's a. I like how these uh, there's a recurring theme of these very established Austinites who've done very well, wanting to pass it on to somebody or get it to somebody else who's going to do another restaurant project instead of just tossing it to developers. That's yeah, and McGuire's talked about that. You know, they turned June's All Day, which used to be Texas French Bread on South Congress, they turned that into a restaurant. They revamped Swedish Hill. They revamped Jeffries. Um, they've bought the property where Clark's is, that little Pecan Grove Square. So, uh, you know, as as much as they're restaurateurs, they're also kind of trying to be stewards of, of Austin culture and, and real estate. Um, and another family that came back, not quite as well known as the Joseph family, but uh, Little Thailand, which you've heard me talk about a lot. Uh, the great Thai restaurant out past the airport in Garfield. Which you claim is the best Thai in, in the area. I think it's the best Thai in Central Texas. And Wow. You know, Dick Simcoe used to run the place with his wife, Seren, and they closed it uh, a few years back, uh, a couple years after Dick had passed. And their niece, Conjunet Thomas, who is a great cook from Thailand, came over and got with her husband, uh, Tanette, who kind of runs the front of house. And they do traditional Thai food, uh, the place is warm as ever. Uh, Tanette renovated the restaurant. So that was one of the great openings of, of the year. It opened in January and uh, made its way into our top 20 restaurants in the city. As if that's not enough to dig up the top stories from the year. <laughs> as, as you mentioned, maybe 100 new restaurants in, in the last year with this town booming like it is. To try to narrow it down to your favorite dishes at new restaurants. Now that's... 
that's challenging. <laughs> and I have to think about how, how that is for you, Matthew, because if you go as a restaurant critic and you go check out a brand new restaurant, it's not like you can have every main dish. Right, and, <laughs> and you definitely can't remember them all either. You know, I think what I tried to do with this list, which is on Austin360.com, is you know come up with what were the 10 best new restaurants and then kind of find a dish that's emblematic of the place and a, and a dish that I'd definitely recommend that you would get uh, if you were to go. And, you know, these were not in any specific order, but one dish I keep thinking about is this double-cut pork chop at Comedor, which is a Mexican restaurant downtown. Um, and it's this huge, hulking slab of meat that's been sliced, and it's finished in this uh, tangy kind of candied finish. It's kind of glossy with fermented honey and this paste made out of Oaxacan chiles. Um, and you drag it, you drag it through this mole that they make with uh, pineapple and pear. So it's kind of sweet and savory. Uh, you, you slice the meat off near the bone. It kind of tastes like, kind of tastes like bacon. Um, oh man! Yeah, it's really, really <laughs> good. So those guys, it's a really beautiful restaurant, uh, Comedor. It's a modern Mexican restaurant, and they're they're taking ingredients, you know traditional to Mexico and giving them to you in ways that y- you might not expect. Not everybody thinks of a pork chop when they go to a Mexican restaurant. Um, another one, you know, and I try and show what some people are doing. That's a little bit uh, different than you'd find at other places. For instance, interstellar barbecue. Uh, it was opened by chefs, John Bates and Brandon Martinez of noble sandwich company. And, you know, they made a name for themselves doing uh, artisanal sides and all their own fermentation and pickling and, doing whole protein roasting whole proteins at their deli back in the day so they they closed noble sandwich and they turned it into interstellar barbecue and while i could have you know raved on and on about the brisket or the sausage or the chicken what was really cool there was this smoked scallop potato dish that they do um they cut they mix it with cream and top it with a parmesan crust that they finish under the heat so it gets this nice uh, bubbly crust to it so that's something cool. Like you don't think smoke co- scallops when you think barbecue. No, you don't. That, that it sounds like a, a French dish, and it's a it's a good representation of the kind of things that they do that you don't necessarily expect at barbecue restaurants. Wow. On a, on a quick side note, if you're if you're going to a barbecue place, and this that's a great shout out to that dish, but. What's the definitive thing for you? Is it is it a pork rib? Is it brisket? Is it I guess sausage? I guess it's brisket here in Central Texas. Yeah. Brisket's not my fa- you know. I like sausage and then probably pork ribs and then probably brisket. Um, but the cool thing is there's there's these restaurants that are doing so many different things now. Whether it's quail or beef cheeks, uh, so that's kind of what's exciting about where where barbecue is going. These guys at um, Interstellar did a pastrami style brisket and that was fabulous and served with like a mustardy sauce so i kind of like some of the, the the different things that are happening but you know the the holy trinity is is brisket pork ribs and sausage yeah yeah um back to mexican food we're really having a strong a strong year with mexican food there's a a new taqueria called nishta taqueria n-i-x-t-a which is uh, short for nishtamalization uh the process by which you turn corn um, into masa and then turn that into tortillas, etc. So there's a real movement of kind of more uh, scratch-based Mexican cooking. And this guy, Chef Edgar Rico, uh, worked at some of the best restaurants in Los Angeles and before moving to Austin. And he brings a real chefy approach to these tacos. And his little East Austin taqueria, far east 12th Street, um, 
near about airport and the one i the one i highlighted was this beet tostada which you know it's a vegan dish uh, which people would be surprised by but he takes the beets and he tosses them in this nutty salsa matcha aioli that he makes with nut butter and then he puts it on a yellow tostada that he makes with corn you know nichtamalized in-house and then showers it with horseradish and microgreens and so just a lot of complicated involved flavors and techniques going on there uh, really exciting time for for Mexican food in Austin. And that's uh, we've we've uh, graduated quite a bit growing up here. It was just Tex Mex, Tex Mex. It was melted cheese everywhere. Look at us now. Yeah, there's no no yellow <laughs> cheese at Commodore or Nishta. Wow. Um, another not to pander to the vegan crowd, but another great vegetarian dish I had. Um, you know, and this also points to kind of what's happening with Austin restaurants was the the mushroom shawarma at TLV at Fairground. So Fairground is that that dining hall, for lack of a better word, uh, food hall that's inside the building at First and Congress right there. It's down in the, the lower part of the building. Okay. And there's um, there's a place there run by the guys from Emmer and Rye. There's a, sushi, uh, there's a sushi place there from the folks that own Kome. There's a taqueria from Daidue. There's a place from Contigo. And this is the newest place, TLV. It stands for um, Tel Aviv. Those are the call letters of the Tel Aviv airport. And so Chef Bertie, uh, Bertie Richter had his own uh, food trailer called Hummus Among Us. <laughs> and then he teamed up with Kevin Fink and the guys from Emmer and Rye and opened this place. And so uh, the, the, the mushroom shawarma is the closest thing you'll taste to a, a meat dish without it. So they take these big meaty mushrooms and they, they mix it uh, with cumin and paprika and cardamom and fenugreek and the, the flavors that you're used to tasting with a beef shawarma, uh, you know, the kind of Middle Eastern wrap that you're used to getting and uh, mixes it with mushrooms and then grills those and picks them up on the flat top. So you've got this meaty, uh, very savory dish that they serve on a bed of um, hummus that they, they really don't adorn with a lot of citrus or a lot of tahini or a lot of salt. So it's a real creamy kind of essence of chickpeas uh, that's kind of the baseline for these big meaty pieces of mushrooms. So that's an, another great dish and another indication of of how Austin dining is changing in terms of the context. Another way that the context is changing is there's a restaurant called Yuroko, which is really just a sushi counter um, at a place uh, in East Austin. Um, it, it, I'm spacing on the name. of It's over on Springdale Road, and it's basically a creative compound of, of buildings. Uh, Springdale General, I think is what it's called. It's a creative compound of buildings that have creative entrepreneurs, Restaurants, cafes, you know, you shop for leather. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a new center, exactly. Off Springdale, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so this place, Yoroko, they make hand rolls, which are great. Um, you can have them for lunch most days and into the evening some days. But what's really great is at night. Uh, I think Thursday, uh, Friday through Monday, they're doing uh, an omakase, which is a chef's choice, and it's a twelve course, forty five minute deal. So you go in. You know you're going to get 12 courses. You know you're only going to be there for 45 minutes. It kind of reminds me of eating um, at some sushi kos in Japan and Tokyo where you get in. You know They tell you what you're having, but they hand you your bite. You eat it, and it's on to the next bite, and there's not a lot of wasted movement um, or time. And the or, sh- or having to make a decision. Right, exactly. What's, what's so nice is a lot of people at work, you're making decisions every day, all day, or for your children or whatever. You just Sometimes you just like, just tell me what to eat. Yeah, just go over and turn <laughs> yourself over to them. And, yeah, I like And these that. guys know what's up. The Chef Take uh, Asazu 
works at Comey uh, and founded Comey with his wife. And then Mazasumi uh, Sayo, um, um, Chef Masa, as he's known, was a longtime Uchi veteran. He was there for, you know, 16 years before opening this place. So these guys definitely have their bona fides intact. So you might get salmon with lemon miso or snow crab with miso butter. Uh, they cure some of their fish Edo style. So uh, it's, it's just a great introduction to sushi and to the omakase experience. And if you were to go to another restaurant and buy your own 12 pieces of sushi, I bet you wouldn't leave half as satisfied or as full as you do when you just let them do it. Or be near as adventurous. Right. Uh, and you just, you just wouldn't know uh, what to do. So you turn yourself over to them and, and you're in good hands. And that's another place that's kind of changing the way we think about uh, where you can find great meals in Austin in 2019. All right, and last but not least, this is going to be really fun, and, and I'm impressed with all the, the work you've, you've put into all these recapping, not only the last year, uh, but the last decade. So now we're going to look at some of Austin's most important and influential restaurant openings from the last decade. Yeah, I mean, it's been quite a decade. You know, last, the decade before the aughts, we had Wink and Uchi and Parkside helped change kind of what to expect uh, with downtown Austin and Home Slice kind of changed fast casual and the same with Veracruz All Natural and their taco truck. But this, this decade's probably been the most exciting decade in Austin restaurants and you know, one of the biggest trends probably and it's not just trends, it's a it's a way of doing things now, is the kind of farm to table, super local and seasonal ingredients. And for lack of a better word, we call it Texas cuisine. And the two best examples of that I'd say are Bryce Gilmore's Barley Swine, which he opened in two thousand ten down on South Lamar uh, in that little small space uh, near the Horseshoe Lounge, the old Horseshoe Lounge. And I think when they first opened, I don't think people really knew in Austin what to expect with these kind of small plates and this kind of creative food. And I was among them. I went to an early meal. It's about a year before I had this job as restaurant critic and just thought, what the hell what are, are we I getting? Eating? <laughs> I felt the same way when I tried all the barley and sw- barley swine hype. Yeah. And I, I too was shocked. Like, this is a really tiny place I, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't you know i wasn't sure what i was going to get but yeah. I, I remember i really enjoyed it yeah it changed the way we thought about fine dining for sure and now they're in a much bigger space on burnett road and have odd duck as well and they're always one of the top restaurants in the city and then the other uh big locavores would be Due, which jesse griffiths who's a hunter and a fisherman and he he really uh walks the talk and he started uh with a farmer's market pop-up and doing pop-up dinners and then opened his restaurant on Manor Road, just down from the old Eastside Cafe, in 2014. And it's also a butcher store, which was something we weren't used to seeing, having a butcher store at the front and a restaurant in the back, and now you see something like that at a place like Salt and Time. So it was very influential, very important uh, restaurant, an excellent restaurant. So, you know, that kind of locavore movement was probably best uh, defined by those guys. And the, the biggest trend probably in, in international dining over the past decade was Nordic cuisine, which uh, there's a restaurant called Noma in Copenhagen uh, with uh, Chef Rene Redzepi. It was named the number one restaurant like three or four times in the past decade, number one restaurant in the world. And Kevin Fink, uh, who is an Arizona chef who moved to Austin about five years ago, had worked at Noma and undoubtedly uh, the levels of his creativity and fermentation and local sourcing were all greatly influenced by by Noma, and he opened Emmer and Rye down on Rainy Street in 2015. It's been named 
best restaurant in town by me uh, once in the past couple of years. And so in terms of global influences, he's probably best representative mm-hmm. of that movement. Um, you know, other big movements in food over the past uh, decade, Southern food became a really big deal and kind of more refined Southern food and not just fried chicken joints. And Michael Fodige, who started Olame in 2014 uh, in the old Oat Willie's head shop uh, off 16th in San Antonio, uh, <laughs> which later became Mars, the Mediterranean restaurant. Um, so he opened Olame in 2014 there, and he's been uh, the best example of how to do great refined uh, southern food in Austin. Um, you know, and then there's just some some culturally some restaurants that had a big deal. You remember when Justine's opened at the very end of 2009? I gave uh, myself a little leeway. When, when Justine's first opened, I remember going out there to see what all the hype was about. At that time in East Austin, as you were driving to, you're going... Where is it? All I'm seeing is junk metal <laughs> <Right>. everywhere, <laughs> like scrap metal yards. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and it was just all of a sudden it was, and then, you know, it had, it has a very hidden intro, very kind of secret stealth, very, a lot of vegetation. Then you pop through it and you're like, ah, uh, yeah, like it's like this great little paradise. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Alice in Wonderland, you know, Justine Gilchrist and her husband, Pierre Pellegrin opened it and September of 2009, and to say ambitious is an understatement. It was visionary to think to put a restaurant out there, to do French bistro food, uh, to have basically a garden party vibe and spin vinyl inside. And, and they've they've kind of changed some way you do you do entertainment at yeah. a restaurant from what I had witnessed in Austin. Yeah, is that and accurate. Yeah, I think so for sure. There have been a lot of people who have wanted to follow in their footsteps who've been pale imitators. You know, they're the music, the vibe, the ambiance, the aesthetic, and the fact that they serve dinner until, I don't know if the kitchen closes at one or when it closes, but it stays open late and it's a party. And, you know, I, I think you can kind of get the feel if, if you're uh, new there that maybe you're not wanted, but you kind of just got to go with the flow and, and play it cool. And once you settle into the vibe, it's, it's, it's really great. So, so some things were just culturally impactful, like Justine's, um, of course, barbecue is is huge down here, and there's barbecue and Mexican food. Of course, Aaron Franklin opened his trailer in December 2009, and then his restaurant in 2011. And you know, it's probably the most famous barbecue restaurant in the world at this point, which is pretty spectacular thing to say. You can't really say that about any other kind of restaurant in Texas. You know, it's it's so wild to see that he literally did a master class if you're not f- familiar with that whole brand that's where they you know do high-end filming of you telling your story and giving away your trade secrets basically and that's what he did like he's i'll show he he he's not afraid to give away his secrets you know what does it take uh so yeah aaron franklin did a whole master class on how to how to do barbecue the way he does yeah and he's like Here, here's how i do it good, good luck you know he's he <laughs> right. figured out something about smoke he's kind of an alchemist and a tinker and a perfectionist and he also figured out a lot about customer service and how to make people feel comfortable and welcome. And whether it's the classic country music or passing out beers while people wait in line, letting people come in and use the clean restrooms while they're outside. You know, he's made the whole experience really worth it. And he changed he changed kind of the barbecue game in the process. And uh, it got more chefs excited about it and excited to do different things. Um, Evan Leroy at Leroy and Lewis is on my list here. He opened his trailer in 2017 and he serves beef cheeks and barbacoa and mac and cheese stuffed quail 
um, and kale slaw for God's sake at a, at a trailer at a barbecue trailer. You'd never expect to see that in uh, ten years ago. And he used to work at Friedman's, which closed down near campus and kind of also proved Twenty Fourth Street exactly. But, yeah, that he kind of flipped the evolution from trailer to restaurant on his head. He's going to eventually open his own restaurant here, but he proved that you know an ambitious chef could leave something and take a step back and do something a little smaller scale that's their own, that they own, and uh, be successful. So it, it'd be interesting to see if that influences other people going forward. But his biggest impact has been on bringing these offcuts and, and different different things to the barbecue scene. Um, also doing that, which it seems terribly obvious and probably is you know hundreds of years old, is uh, the the wedding of Mexican food and barbecue, which... Valentina's Tex-Mex does um, incredibly well. Miguel Vidal is a fifth-generation Texan. He's from South Texas, and you know, at family get-togethers at his dad's and grandfather's barbecues, you know, they'd smoke meat and then they'd serve them with homemade flour tortillas with salsas and condiments and avocado and stuff that you would usually find at Mexican restaurants. So, I'm sure the idea of smoking meat and serving it with tortilla has been around for. A long time, but for some reason, it seems like we've kept those two things distinguished in our heads as two separate things. And he wed them in a way that that nobody had commercially in Austin when he first opened his trailer near Ranch Six One Six. It's now uh, down in Deep South Austin, off Manshack, uh, and he's apparently going to open a restaurant connected to his trailer at some point. But he does so well with the trailer and the covered seating that I wonder, you know, where that stands. Um, Suerte is a is a modern Mexican restaurant that opened in 2017 that is also on the list and that kind of that that helped usher in this new modern Mexican movement that we've talked about you know nichemalizing corn in house to make your own tostadas and tortillas um, that that's something that wasn't really going on before they opened Sam Hellman Moss who was at Barley Swine and Odd Duck so that kind of helped usher in places like Comedor and and we'll see what's what's next to come and then. Rounding out the list, um, for culture reasons, for service reasons, um, for personality reasons, Ramen Tatsuya, which opened in 2012, and Via 313, a pizza restaurant that opened in 2011, and then as a trailer, and then as as a group of restaurants in 2015. You know, these are terribly different places, but they're basically both places that showed that there was a, a desire for uh, unique takes and unique aesthetics on food that we hadn't thought of before. You know, there wasn't a ramen scene in Austin before ramen Tatsuya opened up in North Austin. Um, and now it's hugely popular. <laughs> they have on the weekends, they have lines around the building. Yes. Yeah, even if it's a hundred degrees outside. Um, and you find other places have opened up ramen shops around town that have uh, probably ridden in on the strength of ramen Tatsuya. And then they've gone on to open Kamuri Tatsuya, which is a, uh, Texas Roadhouse meets Japanese Izakaya place. They've opened Dip 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 Tatsuya, which is a Shabu Shabu restaurant in North Austin. So they've just been hugely influential in terms of uh, the impact they've had uh, in town in terms of service and vibe and, and bringing a unique sensibility. And then Via 313 introduced Austinites to Dest- Detroit style pizza, which is those big, fluffy, uh, cheesy squares that have. Uh, a layer of cheese right on top of the tomato sauce. So the tomato sauce kind of bursts up from underneath. And what they did was it's two brothers, Brandon and Zane Hunt. They came down from Detroit and they brought their own attitude and personality, but somehow also 
fit in in Austin without trying to be quote unquote Austin y. And somehow they've helped push Austin, especially East Austin, where they opened their first trailer and they have a restaurant uh, into their image. And so they're proof that, you know, this is a town that's not huge on welcoming outsiders, uh, mm-hmm. especially outside restaurateurs. And these guys came in and figured out a way to fit in without changing who they were. And whether it's their, their style of pizza or their brand of service or their attitude on social media or whatever it might be, they decided to stay themselves and somehow uh, were able to change a little bit of what Austin looked like. So they were another a, one of the big influences. Yeah, that's an interesting thing you bring up because if if big franchise things come in to central Austin, there's a lot of pushback. Yeah, and there's going to be more and more. You know, South Congress is already looking different. If you look at some of those mm-hmm. hotels and developments, if you look downtown, you know, some of these bigger restaurants. And so it's going to be on uh, local businesses that can afford to, to to keep their elbows out and, and, and keep holding it down for Austin. And I'd be remiss without mentioning um, in the, the most important restaurants of the past 10 years. It's not one specific restaurant, but McGuire Mormon Hospitality um, it's insane how many restaurants they've opened in the in the past year, uh, in the past decade. They've opened, well, you guess. How many restaurants do you think McGuire Mormon's opened in the past decade? Just in Austin. Because they've gone Austin. outside of Austin now as well, have they not? That's right. They opened a Clark's in Aspen as That's well. That's right. That's right. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, in the last decade, they've done six restaurants? Eleven. Jeez. <laughs> and some of those have just opened in the past week. Um, but, you know, they transformed Bolden Creek Cafe into Elizabeth Street Cafe, which, yeah. I mean, that was just a, a divey little vegetarian cafe on the creek. And now it's this posh little French Vietnamese place. Um, they turned um, the old Mars into Perla's, which is kind of the jewel of South Congress now in terms of people watching and hanging out. Hey, I no disrespect to them. They're great. I love Perla's. It's, it's in my neighborhood. And my wife and I continuously go, let's just go have a glass of wine and a couple appetizers. For $125? About- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it gets me every time, but, but it's good. It's yeah. very, very good. They know how to make it make you feel cool being there. You know, They know mm-hmm. how to do a vibe, and the, the food is not award-winning, but it's consistent. Um, and you know what you're going to get every time, and that's the same as... You know, Clark's, they turned Portabla into Clark's. Uh, they revamped Swedish Hill and Jeffrey's. And they've just opened uh, three concepts, I believe, in the proper hotel and condos. They opened a, a Mediterranean one called the Peacock. I think they're about to open one that's kind of fajitas and ceviche. And I can't even remember what the third one is. Wow. So they're just a font of creativity. Uh, and also, you know, the detractors can say what they want, but they're getting leases on places like... Uh, huts and they're buying places like Swedish Hill mm-hmm. and they're you know having success at places like Perla's so they're you know as much as they're changing the face of Austin they're also helping Austin stay Austin so uh, if you're going to have some complaints you also have to recognize uh, what all they've done now very very good point yeah uh, man this is impressive you know can I give a quick shout out to sure. something that uh, I know you really this is about the last decade but I really enjoyed reading Michael Barnes' article. Uh, unfortunately, he just passed away at the age of 81. Juan Antonio, nicknamed Sonny Falcon, or is it Falcon? Falcon, the fajita king Sonny of Texas. Falcon. It's the fajita invented in Austin, Texas. Uh, and Sonny passed away just, uh, just 
a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Actually, just a week or so ago, right? God bless him. But yeah. The, if those who don't know, if it's bragging rights, if you want something to throw at people, the fajita was actually invented in Austin, Texas. Can't beat a fajita. <laughs> Great work, Matthew. Man, that's. Uh, do you realize, as the restaurant critic for Austin 360 and the American Statesman, you did it in the busiest decade ever for this gig? Yeah, I came in about a year <laughs> into the decade, and I think the decade and I both kind of came of age together. The restaurant scene and I were kind of on the same footing when we got in and so i'm i'm proud to have matured along with it and honored to be able to tell these people stories and celebrate all the stuff that they bring to to diners around town well done thank you and uh, we appreciate it and another quick shout out your dining guide of your top 50 for the year is online at austin360.com and you can even order a printed copy of that my dad's a foodie was here all month from chicago and i slipped him one of your dining guides and he uh I think he hit about a dozen of those places. <laughs> nice. So. Merry Christmas. Yeah. That's our show. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our sponsor, Copenhagen Furniture. Check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook pages for more about life in Austin. And talk to us on Twitter, at LoveAustin360. And please, leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find our podcast. I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, is a production of the feature staff at the Austin American Statesman. This episode was produced by J.B. Hager and Alyssa Vidalis. Our theme music is from local band Hardproof, who you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com. You can find everything you'd ever want to know about this show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, Shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com. We couldn't do this show without you, dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your spicy dish. Until next week, we'll see you out at a modern Mexican restaurant, lining up for barbecue or searching for Austin's next great taco. Since 1993, Copenhagen Modern Furniture has showcased Austin's largest collection of fine contemporary furniture and accessories. Now at Copenhagen, receive $200 off any stressless seating or $400 off stressless Mayfair chair and ottoman when you donate $50 to one of our local charities. For more ways to save, visit our showroom on Breaker Lane or go to copenhagenliving.com. Copenhagen Modern Furniture, Austin's premier destination for everything contemporary.